This podcast was recorded on Thursday, June 20th at 9.56 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I think Andrew Scheer is um, trying to make his blandness into an advantage. He's using that blandness as a contrast with Justin Trudeau. And uh, bland can work. Shifting from campaigning to governing hasn't been the smoothest transition for Justin Trudeau's liberals. Back in 2015, the party had big ideas. Our new Canada Child Benefit will be simple, meaningful, monthly, and tax-free. We are committed to ensuring that the 2015 election will be the last federal election using first past the post. We are committed to balancing the budget in 2019. Lots of what the Grits talked about quickly came to fruition. I understand one of the priorities for you was to have a cabinet that was gender balanced. Why was that so important to you? Because it's 2015. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau held his first caucus meeting and he made the first big reversal of one of Stephen Harper's decisions. Trudeau is bringing back the mandatory long-form census. Government passed its middle-class tax cut just this afternoon. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> they step off the plane as refugees, uh, but they walk out of this terminal as permanent residents of Canada. But the reality of governing has meant compromises. Today. I am announcing that our government has newly approved the Trans Mountain Expansion Project going forward. Imposing a price on carbon while buying a pipeline may make sense to the Prime Minister, but not for those who were promised no projects would go through without a social license. Is anybody else here pissed off? Key among the Liberals' broken promises? Budget deficits ballooned. Hold on a second. You promised 10 billion, now it's 30 billion. Some pledges were abandoned. Electoral reform went out the window. If you have a promise this clear from a prime minister who is willing to break it, then what does any promise mean from the guy? After three years and nearly eight months in office, what has Justin Trudeau's government accomplished? I have to certainly give my highest regards to Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. A lot of stories came out about uh, Justin and I uh, having difficulty together that we did over the trade deal. On Twitter, he called Trudeau dishonest and weak. But I'll tell you, it's turned out to be a very, very good deal for both. It is an historic day for Canada, the first legal sale of recreational cannabis. The Liberals plan to give more money to Canadian families through a popular program, the Canada Child Benefit. Prime Minister Trudeau's visit to India has been a colossal failure of diplomacy and leadership skills. Justin Trudeau now becomes the first Prime Minister to break Canada's federal ethics laws. For a period of approximately four months between September and December of 2018, 
I experienced a consistent and sustained effort by many people within the government to seek to politically interfere in the exercise of prosecutorial discretion in my role as the Attorney General of Canada in an inappropriate effort to secure a deferred prosecution agreement with SNC-Lavalin. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. Today, we look back at the Liberals' majority government and ask what the party has done to deserve another go. And what about the other major parties? How can they and their leaders best position themselves to win on October 21st? What issues will dominate? And is Conservative leader Andrew Shears newly released environmental plan enough to win over voters in Ontario? This plan is the most comprehensive environmental platform ever put forward by a political party in Canada in far surpassing anything Justin Trudeau put out before the 2015 election. Our political pundits, Greg McEachran, Carl Belanger, and Kate Harrison will join me to talk about that. We'll also check in with Bardis Chagger, the government's house leader. Uh, Kevin Lamroom, the Parliamentary Secretary, the Government House Leader, Member of Parliament for Winnipeg North. The most significant thing we've done, I believe, is virtually from day one where we made a commitment to Canada's uh, middle class, those wanting to be a part of it, and give that helping hand. We did that through tax breaks to to the middle class, uh, which put hundreds of millions of dollars uh, into uh, millions of Canadians, every region of the country. We put a special uh, tax on Canada's wealthiest 1%. Uh, we also uh, decreased small business uh, tax. Uh, we were able to increase the Canada Child Benefit, which in Winnipeg North, my riding alone, $9 million a month going into it. We increased the guaranteed income supplement, again in my riding, where uh, hundreds of seniors were lifted out of poverty. Uh, we were able to build on Canada's uh, infrastructure, uh, historic amounts of money going into infrastructure. Take a look at Winnipeg, other communities, lots of potholes. We invest in infrastructure. Um, I think that at the end of the day uh, that we have accomplished so much in a very short period of time. I've had someone that I, every every Saturday I go to a local McDonald's and it wasn't that long ago someone came to me saying that, you know, that they believe that we've done more than what Stephen Harper did in four years. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, there's a lot more that we can do, a lot more progressive uh, policies. There's a lot of good things that we've started and would like to be able to, to finish. In order to be able to do that, we need another mandate. Raj Saini, Member of Parliament for Kitchener Centre. I think in my riding, actually, it's, it's unique because it's an urban riding, and I don't think the party's going to be vulnerable. I think that a lot of the things that we did will will advance, uh, uh, hopefully, my opportunity to, to, to be uh, re-elected again. But my riding, if you look at the environment, which is very important, you look at the economy, which is very important, one thing that I'm really proud about as being a pharmacist is also advancing the pharmacare agenda. So for me, that's something that I ran on, it's something that I committed to, and it's one of the reasons I entered politics. So I'm very, very happy uh, to see that, that hopefully that will be part of our agenda. I think that Canadians are ready for this, and I think we're all ready for this, and I think this is the missing piece in having a healthcare system that works for everybody. I'm Julie DeBruce, and I'm the Member of Parliament for Toronto Danforth. One of the most important things to me is that we reduced child poverty by 20% in a single year. 300,000 children lifted out of poverty across this country. To me, that was exactly what I wanted to see done, and there's so much more to do. And on the environment, seeing that we're investing in public transit, 
first electric bus is traveling around in the city of Toronto because of federal investments, retrofitting buildings, which are the largest emitters in our cities, and taking it all steps forward on innovation, trying to build out technology so that we can make that transition. I'm really happy with what we've done and I can't wait to do more. One of the things that's close to my heart, it was in our federal budget, but it needs to be in our platform, is a national school food program, a universal school, school food program. That's something that would help. I hear from teachers in my community about how they keep granola bars in their desks because kids go to school and they're hungry. And kids who are hungry don't achieve as well. They don't graduate in the same numbers. And it's also about providing opportunities to kids in the future. And of course, you're not going to be surprised to hear that I'm always an advocate for more gun control. Um, I would love to see the ability to give power to the city of Toronto on a handgun ban in cities across our country. I would love to see um, an assault weapons ban and to take more controls. Adam Vaughan, Member of Parliament for Spadina, Fort York, and very proudly the Parliamentary Secretary uh, for Housing. Why do you think the Liberals deserve another mandate? I would just look at, at uh, the poverty rates. Um, if you told me that, that I was part of a political movement that was going to reduce child poverty to the extent we have, I, I would have asked you how, because you don't see it as a, as a policy platform piece, but it's the impact that all of our different policies have had, the Canada Child Benefit, the reform to, 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 to the housing programs, uh, the investment into uh, cities and daycare, the, 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 the way in which we've changed how women participate politically and in the workforce. All of those things have reduced child poverty, um, not just by the 300,000 kids that have been lifted above the poverty line, but even those kids that we're still working on to get out of, out of uh, low-income communities, those kids are doing better. And, and, and when you build a generation of strong, resilient kids, um, things get better for Canada. There's stuff we could do faster, there's stuff we could do better. I think that our communications, I, 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 you know, I think, you know, the other two parties are great at slogans. Uh, they'll say in a sentence what they think about something, um, and, and I think we, we explain everything with paragraphs, essays, and you know, PhD theses sometimes. I, I think that, that our, our, our capacity to explain complicated ideas and, and really you know, ambitious programs, um, we're not great at the slogan. And I think if we can shed anything, it's, it's this um, need to over-explain and, and perhaps uh, uh, complicate the simplicity and the elegance of some of the stuff we've done. I, I think if we could shed that, we'd be in a lot better space. Andrew Leslie, Member of Parliament for Orleans. The economy, million jobs added, lowest unemployment in the G7, actually a historic 45-year low now. Um, most industries have seen a dramatic uptick, so I think that in large measure is due to the sound stewardship of the economy, which is arguably one of the number one tasks of any government. What would you say the challenges of the party going forward are? I would say overcoming some of the perceptions around ethics, some of them around uh, missteps, both uh, here and overseas, and uh, there's a certain degree of frustration over the speed at which things have been accomplished. Perhaps natural at this stage in the end of a first mandate. I'm Greg McCachran, Senior Vice President with Proof Strategies. I'm Cal Belanger, I'm the President of Traction Strategies. Kate Harrison, Vice President of Suma Strategies. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Good to be Good here. Good to be here. 
So we've heard liberals talk about why they feel uh, they deserve to be reelected. Let me ask you about the strengths and vulnerabilities of each of the parties and their leaders, and then we can talk about steel, shield and sword issues. Um, let's start with the liberals. Going into this campaign, I mean, we're about two months out of it, but for all intents and purposes, it basically has started. Um, where do you see the liberals uh, sitting at this point, and what do they need to do to get across the finish line? It was an understatement to say it was a rough winter slash spring for the Liberals. Uh, but I would say they're up off the mat. Uh, I think there's probably, when people look back at the SNC-Lavalin coverage, and probably, you know, there'll be some long forms or, or some books written about this. Um, but there was a huge polarization, um, you know, not just in on politics, but I'd say on the press gallery as well. I joke that there's only so many, there's only about six stories in Canadian politics. Well, this was a very different story when you have someone in your own caucus at committee testifying against your your your, your government. So there I've just rehashed a whole bunch of negative things. Um, <laughs> but I think the thing that we, we see now is that the challenge for the Conservatives is that the... Uh, they weren't able to make something that they've kind of come up with stick. The The damage to the Liberals was all, always self-inflicted. But I think what matters for the Liberals is that they're now kind of past the, the mess of the spring and they can talk about their record. And there's lots of good things to talk about. Um, one of the things that, that bothers me is that they um, made the mandate letters of cabinet ministers public but never really... Um, you know, put a lot of attention on that. What they set out to do in a lot of cases, they've done. Um, their challenge has always been around communications and getting their own message out. Well, they do have a promise tracker that is done by Privy Council staff and shows that there's only four broken promises. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and yes. that's entirely accurate, I would uh, say. <laughs> um, but, but you make a good point because when was the last time you heard a Liberal cabinet minister talk about that? Mm. Funny that. You know, I mean, they have a record and people can compare. I mean, you can use the, the, the private council analysis, but there are other analysis out there. Academics are doing that. And, and uh, they are a series of broken promises. Uh, so that's a weakness for the Liberals because they have a record. They're not coming fresh like they did in the last election. Uh, another weakness is that a, a bit of a lack of coherent messaging. Uh, on, you know, on one day you announce this is, we're in a state of climate emergency, and the very next day you announce a brand new pipeline. It doesn't make sense for a lot of folks Showing out that there. The environment and it, economic development go hand in hand, Carl. Everyone's That's a very good talking expression. point. But there's a lack of coherent messaging here. People don't, it doesn't add up. Um, and Justin Trudeau's brand is still strong. Uh, there's still a lot of goodwill towards them but not as much as before because of the record, because of the way things were handled, ethical problems for sure, Diago Khan, the trip to India, SNC-Lavalin. Uh, so the brand has been damaged. But they have a strong selling point, and they will use it. They are not the conservatives, and they are in power. And to pre prevent the conservatives from winning, you have to vote liberal. That's the message that we'll, that we'll use during uh, the campaign. Will it be enough? Maybe. We'll see, uh, but certainly is it's something that they have going for it. It's worked for them in the past that in order to block the conservatives, the liberals are sharing the values of the other parties, and uh, you can trust us that we will deliver, even though they don't. Yeah, and I would add to that too, the ability for voters to move seems 
far more flexible mm-hmm. this election than it ever has before, particularly on the progressive left. We've seen this huge spike for, for the Green Party um, in accessible voters. 45% of Canadians are at least open to voting for the Green Party. Like This is a, a huge moment for them to find their relevance in Canadian politics. Uh, Obviously, that's a major consideration for the NDP and for the Liberals. Um, But to the point on vulnerabilities, uh, Carl picks up on something uh, which I think is, is really strong, which is Justin Trudeau as both the greatest strength and the greatest weakness of the Liberal Party. I think that he's worn a lot of the issues himself. Um, and I think that's been intentional. Certainly the first part of the mandate, he was their messenger in chief. Uh, so I, I think that it's almost like a light switch. When he's on, he's really on and people like him. But when he's off, man, is he ever off. And you saw that with the plastics announcement last week. And what do you and your family do to cut back on plastics? Uh, we uh, uh, we have uh, recently switched to drinking uh, water bottles out of uh, water out of uh, when we have water bottles uh, out of a plastic uh, sorry away from plastic towards uh, paper um, like drink box water bottles sort of things. So it's really going to be a question of whether or not the experience that he brings from the campaign trail, which is the only leader that's continuing on outside of Elizabeth May, uh, but of the major three parties, uh, can he actually use that to his advantage and deliver a strong campaign narrative uh, with the other two newbies? Let's talk about the Conservatives. Um, Andrew Shearer had his, uh, I was going to say big, but I guess it depends where you, where you stand on the issue. He had his environment an- announcement this week. Um, which is kind of the closing of those five big speeches he was giving. Uh, Have the Conservatives put uh, enough in the window or um, have they addressed enough of the concerns around what they stand for to perhaps calm some of those voters that they need to switch to their side? It's funny, until you presented it as the fifth of five speeches, I forgot that they were doing that. So again, I, I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity that here, you know, we're going to put policy out and we're going to do it in a great defined way. I, I like when people, um, you know, lump things together and it seems like a, a big part of an overall plan. But I, I totally forgot that this was part of that. I think the challenge for a lot of conservatives is they've painted themselves in a corner where anything that the liberals said they were against, and that included on the environment. So all of a sudden, you only seem like you're against any progressive environmental initiatives as opposed to putting something in the window that you're behind. We'll, I mean, again, the, the plan has just come out this week. We'll see if it if it landed with a thud, but it was very odd. came out very late in the day. Um, the shots that I saw in the national news, he was answering questions about Michael Cooper. There seemed to be a fly issue. <laughs> you know, this is the problem when you do outdoor events. You know, <laughs> there are, you know, when you're picking a, when you're picking a fly out of your mouth during an outdoor event. I mean, that does not make for. It's a great source of protein, and it just adds a little. It's bit memorable of TV, perhaps not great TV. I think Andrew Scheer um, is trying to make his blandness into an advantage. He's using that blandness as a contrast with Justin Trudeau. And uh, bland can work. Um, so far, it has worked in as much that he's been leading in the polls. One can argue it's because of SNC-Lavalin, but he's been able to, to be the main option as an alternative to Justin Trudeau. 
But isn't that a reflection of the fact that the Conservative Party brand is quite strong? So even if people don't know who Andrew Scheer is, they know what the Conservative brand stands for, and also, frankly, a reflection that the NDP seems to be quite weak. The Conservative brand uh, is quite unique now. It's not the progressive Conservatives of old. Um, uh, if you look at the, the voting base of the Conservative Party, uh, it has been, under Stephen Harper, certainly, um, to a certain extent, radicalized. And I say that because, you agree with that? <laughs> well, but, but hear me out. The reason I say that is because when you ask conservative voters if they have a second choice, they are the voters with the least likely chance to have a second choice. Mm -hmm. It's conservative or bust. That's a very strong asset for the conservative because they know these voters are going to come to them or nowhere. Max Bernier is really upset with you right now. Well, he <laughs> is, but 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 to that point, Max Bernier has not yeah. been thinking. If a tree falls the, in the, the forest, people's yeah. the people's party uh, in French is Parti Populaire. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The only popular is the name. Like there's nothing popular <laughs> about him. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the good thing for Andrew Scheer is that he doesn't need to worry too much about that right flank, and should should uh, you know eliminate those elements that are on the fringe of the party because that's not where most voters Which is are. pretty amazing when you think about it because Max Bernier you know, had about 50% of the vote at the conservative leadership, yet he's not been able to translate that, as I've seen yet. Um, you know, there was some strong numbers in one by-election, but don't really see that they, it's worked out. And, and, and to be fair, Maxime Bernier was not running on the same platform yeah, for leader of the conservatives. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, no, he, he jumped the shark. And he, in order to maintain relevancy, he just kept chasing the headline and going further down the rabbit hole. But, uh, you know, Carl's point on that conservative base being consistent, it's about 30% of mm -hmm. Canadians, uh, is a strong one. I think the environment plan that was released yesterday is actually a, a play for the other 10%. Let's talk about Andrew Scheer, um, because although people knew who Justin Trudeau was, I think he was able to go to the electorate in 2015 and sort of kind of be all things to many people. What are the vulnerabilities and strengths of Andrew Scheer as a leader? Well, he's boring. Uh, you said bland earlier. Well, but bland <laughs> is the positive spin on boring. Ontario's Bill Davis right? used it to great effect. Uh, yeah. uh, so, Stephen so Harper as well. If if the campaign is about uh, is a personality contest, Andrew Scheer's not going to win. Now, um, the truth is that Justin, as I said earlier, Justin Trudeau's personality is not the selling point it used to be. Uh, but Andrew Scheer is, has not been able to connect with people and to make an impression as a leader. Uh, there's still a lot of, of people that don't know who he is. Um, and uh, during an election campaign, when retail politics come into play, that could be a weakness for him. Um, so you can establish the contrast, can use the blandness to, uh, to your advantage, but to a point, because you have to go in the debate, you have to perform, you have to show that you are able to lead, and part of it is theater. And of course, there's only one drama teacher on the stage. <laughs> oh, easy on that, that stuff. I, I think Sheer is a blank slate, so that could be an advantage. You can project a lot of things on him. I think the challenge is that he is, um, I think, uh, perhaps too much risk averse, and that really doesn't move you anywhere. I think one uh, big weakness is that he doesn't seem to have the caucus discipline we, that Harper did, and he doesn't seem to seem to have the same uh, hold on his caucus, even judging by some MPs on Twitter, that um, that you would hope at this point uh, in in a you know in terms of running caucus. But I think of somebody like Michelle Rempel, uh, who on Twitter can change her you know opinion about uh, what's appropriate. Uh, she can do a 180, and I think they're scared to discipline someone like Michelle Rempel because she has a huge following of her own, and they want her inside the tent. I don't know. I, I look at it a little bit differently. I do think that 
uh, Andrew Scheer more than other conservative leaders I've observed uh, does really fundamentally uh, appreciate and and value and prioritize free speech, mm-hmm. independent thought. Like that seems to be where a lot of his conservatism is frankly grounded. So I think, I don't know if it's so much um, a fear of a threat of caucus members stepping out on their own as opposed to him kind of reconciling what it is to be a leader and emphasize that or exert that caucus control and discipline, uh, reconciling that with his own belief that people really uh, it's a big tent and they should be able to say what they want to say. Which I was would, also part of his platform. It, absolutely. Well, the free speech on campus was like one of his major leadership proposals. Um, I would say, though, that a vulnerability could be on the campaign trail, how that looks when it comes to candidate management. So we saw in Ontario, for instance, Doug Ford uh, be very quick to dismiss candidates mm-hmm. that were getting in the way of a, of a good story. Uh, will Andrew Shear have that same discipline? To the point on on blandness or a blank slate or whatever B word we're going to use, uh, I, I think that that's actually a strength of his. Um, because, again, when you come out with policies that are, are, are pretty neutral, non-offensive, you can't be scary. And I think that where the liberals had a lot of success was in painting Stephen Harper as scary. Andrew Scheer is not a scary guy. So I think that line of attack is just not going to work. So I, him being pretty neutral is, is going to be okay for him. But that's why, I mean, you, you talk about not being scary, but that's why the liberals are linking him with Doug Ford and Jason Kenney. They are uh, the, the scarecrow in this case. And, and you know, I, I will always remember that, that famous picture on the cover of McLean's magazine with the five nights of the apocalypse and uh, and the liberals the resistance. Use that. Well, you know, that's how they try to spin it. But uh, let's say that uh, on I the think left that's side. a cover that they're rethinking whether or not that was the well, best. So many blue suits. Now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, on, on, on caucus discipline and, and independent thoughts, let me just say that the other parties love it when there's a lot of conservative independent thoughts during the campaign. It's true. Let's talk about the NDP, uh, because uh, it didn't quite get the attention that uh, Andrew Shearer's climate plan got, but Jagmeet Singh on Sunday in uh, Hamilton announced um, basically like a preview of the platform, what the party calls its commitments, a new deal for people, NDP, haha. Um, <laughs> clever. Uh, to me, I mean, a, a document that basically comes out, lots of promises, uh, some of them costed, full pharmacare, uh, in the future, vision care, like a full suite of uh social programs uh, in a way that we haven't seen in a while. This really was like a almost a 180 from where Thomas Mulcair was in 2015. To me, it read like a, a third party document. Like we want people to believe in something here is our vision. Come share it with us. Um, let's talk about Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. Where What do you think the strengths and the vulnerabilities of the party and the leader are? Well, the, the big weakness is it, it, he's just I mean, we've talked about it already. The polls are not great for the NDP. He has not caught on. You know, I, I watched on Sunday, which was a curious time for to do that announcement. Father's Day, n- you know, warm weekend tacked on to the Ontario uh, AGM. Um, but I guess that, you know, if that's the best 
uh, soapbox you have, you, you've, you've got to grab it if you're the NDP right now. Um, and I still see a guy that is struggling to be uh, his authentic self. Um, you know, the way he, his speaking style seems more uh, cheerleadery, if that's even a word, um, than, than, than the way he talks. And again, I think, you know, had he been uh, a, an MP for a little while, he might have, you know, been able to, to make this transition better. But there's something that just, it's, it's like there's a missing step. Um, he needs to be at C, he's at A, and they don't know what B is. Well, um, yeah, there's a lot of things going on here. Uh, the potential that Jagmeet Singh showcased during the leadership race yep. um, has definitely not materialized uh, with the general public. There's still time. Mm -hmm. New Democrats, to convince New Democrats, seem to be excited by this vision. Um, of course, others are looking at it and say, well, will this bring the NDP back up in the polls? Will this win seats? Uh, and that's a big question mark at this point. Um, the, the idea that you have to um, uh, you know, go as far as possible from Tom Mulcair's plan and Tom Mulcair's approach need to be considered um, under the light, uh, under the following light, Tom Mulcair is the leader, the only leader of the CCF NDP history uh, to come close to become prime minister. He was within a month of becoming prime minister. Um, so perhaps Tom Mulcair's New Democrats were doing a few things right. Maybe I, I actually think that the the move to a more left leaning platform is is the right move for Singh at this stage. Um, you know, I think about the promises that were broken along the way in this mandate, and they were big promises for those on the progressive left. Democratic reform. 95% um, of people will not vote on this issue. The 5% of people that do are very upset about it. That's true. So, to I think have Singh kind of double down on on the progressive elements of the platform I, th I think is the appropriate way to go. He has policies and ideas that can help ground his communications, which hopefully will mean less flubs along the way, like we saw with LNG and a few other examples. So he now has some substance to back up the style. Uh, so it's going to be a matter of, of getting out and selling it. But uh, it's a long road to hoe and certainly conservatives want him to do a lot better than uh, than he's been doing of yeah. late there's no question that he had to be bold and audacious that's yeah. what they've done um and uh but but how do you go on the campaign trail and you know present yourself as a possible government and if you are not presenting yourself as a possible government then why would i vote for you and that's the challenge always been the challenge for the, for the NDP, and that's where the liberals come in and say well you know, they mean well, but they don't know anything about anything. And therefore, we will talk a bit about pharmacare and talk a bit about childcare and not really do it. But, you know, um, you can you can be sure that we are on the same side on this issue. And, and liberals will thank you for your good ideas. Exactly. <laughs> but maybe people are not voting for who they want to be government. They're voting for who they hope will be the balance of power in a minority government. No. I mean, why are people voting for, or say they're going to be voting for Elizabeth May and the Green Party? They're no, because not- they're, Because they're fed up, that's why. They're fed up with the lack of action on climate change, and that's a worldwide phenomenon. As I said, the Greens are moving up everywhere in the world. It has nothing to do with Elizabeth May. It's not her, it's the brand, is what I'm trying to say here. It says a lot that we're talking about the strengths and the weaknesses of the NDP, and we've already shifted to talking about Elizabeth May, though, right? So I think, you know, the fact that th there's going to be a lot of people when the 
when the seas are muddied like they are right now, um, you know, we saw a lot of strategic voting in 2015 because people just wanted to get rid of Stephen Harper and they thought that that was the best way to go about it. I'm not really seeing that vibe right now. Like certainly not, you know, we have to get Justin Trudeau out of government. Uh, but I think that the left vote is a lot more susceptible this time around to uh, going to the Greens, maybe some to the NDP, some to the Liberals. Um, so I, I think that we might see a little bit more switching than we normally would an election and again maybe that's a reflection of just not a whole lot of strong leadership but this is a tipping point for elizabeth may if she cannot take the uh as carl says like that that worldwide captivation of the green cause and turn it into in my opinion six to eight seats if she can't do that she absolutely has to go like there is no question she has to step down to wrap up the greens do the ndp and the greens even have the financial ability to pull off a campaign at the same level as the Liberals and the Conservatives? No, certainly not on the uh, air war front. Um, you will see a lot of ads, and actually you're seeing them already from the mid two main parties, and uh, you will not see a lot of them from, from the NDP or from the Green Party. Does that still matter, though, well, if you have yeah, ads on TV if or you, not? If you are very creative and able to go viral, uh, it doesn't, but that's a you know. It's, I, I often hear that. Let's let's create a video and let's make it viral. Okay, mm. where's the button to make it viral? Yeah. I, I don't find it on my editor. It's like that easy Staples button, exactly. right? You just. Uh, but uh, you never know what can happen in an election. I mean, uh, and it's and it's it's a phenomenon we've seen across the world. But here in Canada, uh, Rachel Notley came out of nowhere and became premier. Mm. In Quebec, the two main parties right now, the the CAC and Quebec Solidaire in the polls, they're number one, number two. One is the government, one is a, now the, the second opposition party. Uh, it did not exist 10 years ago. Uh, you know, and you can go across the world. In France, Macron led a party from nothing to power in a few years. Uh, you have now the Brexit party who's winning seats in the Europe. Like, so people are fed up. They're moving quickly, and it's true here, it's true across the world, and, and Kate was mentioning that there's a fluidity with the voters mm -hmm. now that makes it a little more unpredictable. That said, there's no guarantee it will be unpredictable. It could just be very well coast all the way to the election. Uh, the way it is right now. And there's a difference between fluidity and motivation, right? That's so right. what we see is an accessibility uh, for the Greens, which is very encouraging for them, and I, I agree, alarming for the Liberals. Uh, but how motivated is that vote to actually come out? And to me, the key question is millennials. They showed up big time for Justin Trudeau in 2015. Uh, we've seen some in some of the public opinion data, I've seen a wavering of that support. Uh, so are they motivated enough by Elizabeth May and the Greens to actually show up and vote? Um, it's a big if, a big, big, big if. And I don't know that other than the conservatives, I think the voter coalitions and the voter movement is very, very loose right now. Okay, let's wrap on that. What will you be watching for? Um, uh, I want to see, I would expect to see the Liberals talk about the million jobs that they've created to start to accentuate the positive, to start to deliver communications around the stuff that they've actually done, better communications. There's been um, some movement since February in terms of professionalizing the, the PMO. Um, during the election, um, what we were just talking about, 
there is, you know, your, your listeners, when they watch the news and they see who gets to cut through and be the lead story, that party, there are professionals who are working on that behind the scenes. It's going to be tougher because there's fewer people that do what you do, Althea, and uh, there's smaller budgets. There'll be fewer reporters on the planes, maybe not even on the planes at all, not on the buses. So you've got to be able to tell that message uh, in a really constricted environment, and it's going to be interesting to watch. I think the wildest card to watch is Quebec. Uh, it is where the Liberals are banking on to gain seats if they lose some elsewhere. Um, the Bloc Québécois, we didn't talk about them, but they are they are resurging a little bit. Um, yeah, they're second. They're mm-hmm. in Close. second place. Uh, they are they are gonna campaign on Bill Twenty One, which is banning religious symbols for public servants in Quebec, uh, and they're gonna poke the other parties to uh, try to, to 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 engage on this issue, and. Um, and, you know, the one interesting thing right now that I find is that there are six political parties that can legitimately win seats in the next election. Six of them. And that makes that 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 pie, that chart, um, very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I don't expect Maxime Bernier to win 12 seats, but I expect him to win in both. And I expect him to be a spoiler in some writings in the Quebec City area, which should be gains for the Conservatives, but... You know, might be might play to the advantage of Justin Trudeau. The Greens, we don't know. We just talked about it. Uh, certainly, they are strong in BC, um, but they've made gains across the country. PEI in New Brunswick are two examples where they won provincially. Uh, well, the, the the NDP, uh, will they bounce back or not? Uh, and if they do, how 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 and where uh, will they be able to keep those fifteen Quebec MPs? It's a big question mark right now. That's a lot of a lot of the incumbent seats that their people are not running again. That's right, and it gives them opportunity to present star candidates. So maybe we'll see them in the next few weeks. Mm. I think there's something happening in Atlantic Canada. Uh, if we look at polling numbers, like the the fact that the Conservatives are tied with the Liberals in Newfoundland is remarkable. Uh, and I because there you, haven't really been a movement since the ABC campaign exactly <laughs> in 2008. Uh, and we obviously saw a PC government elected in PEI recently. Um, although you know, how does the PC party of PEI align with the Conservative Party of Canada? There's quite a bit of variance there, right? Uh, but polling numbers in Atlantic Canada, considering there's no blue seats there, um, are are really strong. And of course, the 905 and the Doug Ford factor. I think it's going to be a major, major thing to uh, to observe. He says he's sitting it out, um, and it sounds like he's got a few of his own challenges to deal with. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see whether or not the Liberal attempts to brand Ford and Shear as, as one and the same actually stick, um, because I think that, yes, Quebec, of course, is a factor, but the 905 could be what determines majority for minority. Kate, Carl, Greg, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Greg McEachran is a former advisor to several liberal ministers and the senior vice president of government relations for Proof Strategies. Carl Belanger worked for the NDP. He's now the president of the Douglas Caldwell Foundation. And Kate Harrison is a former Conservative Party staffer and vice president at Suma Strategies. Peter Julian, NDP House Leader and Member of Parliament for New Westminster Burnaby. And do you think the Liberals have done enough to deserve being re-elected? 
Uh, no, I don't. And I think a lot of Canadians feel the same way. Uh, it's quite likely that the next parliament will be a minority parliament. I think in part it's because of the lack of action on issues that people care about. No action on pharmacare uh, when people can't afford their medication. No ac action on affordable housing. No real action on the environment. I mean, there's a, a, a price on carbon, but it doesn't apply to the big polluters. And so people see that difference between what was promised uh, changing the voting system and a whole range of other things and what was actually delivered. Hi, I'm Michael Chong, Member of Parliament for Wellington Halton Hills. Most proud of the fact that we were a cohesive opposition that formed a strong uh, opposition to the government, uh, strong, held the government accountable on a number of issues. You know, more recently, uh, things that come to mind most recently are things like the SNC-Lavalin affair, uh, the issues concerning uh, Admiral Mark Norman, uh, some of the uh, other challenges uh, that come to mind that the government uh, had to face with the whole issues around uh, foreign affairs, the detainment of two Canadians in China, the two Michaels in China, uh, the issues around Hong Kong, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, and the United States. I'm uh, Peter Kent, the Member of Parliament for Thornhill, which sits on the northern city limits of the city of Toronto. When uh, our new leader, Andrew Scheer, uh, uh, asked me to serve as the ethics critic uh, for the official opposition uh, in 2017, I thought that I would have uh, uh, a, a fairly quiet uh, time on that committee, many important issues, uh, but the Prime Minister uh, and uh, ministers of his government and backbenchers gave us uh, more than enough to work with in terms of violations of the Conflict of Interest Act and the violation of the, uh, of the Members' Code. And I was quite disappointed that the, um, that the Liberal government uh, receiving three reports, three unanimous reports from the Ethics Committee on measures that we believe necessary to better protect the privacy of Canadians in this digital age, whether on social media, whether in terms of uh, uh, surveillance capitalism as it's become uh, known to us, not market capitalism, but surveillance capitalism, that uh, the government did not respond in any meaningful way. And uh, we have suggested to uh, the next parliament, as we, as we conclude this parliament and head uh, towards the election in October, uh, that the uh, members of the committee uh, immediately focus uh, with, with greater intensity on uh, the protection of privacy in this digital age. I'm tired of Canadians voting against governments. I want to be part of a government, which I think we've done well, where Canadians can vote for governments so that we can continue doing the work that we are doing. And I think when it comes to the results that we have demonstrated over three and a half years, they're greater than we expected, and we need more of that. And that's why I think Justin Trudeau's leadership, as much as it is targeted, has been quite commendable. And if people can actually peel back the layers and look at what he's really done and the impact we've had, Canadians would agree that it is that we are in the right direction and we have to continue progressing for a better future.
Barty Schrager is the leader of the government in the House of Commons. She's responsible for organizing the government's day-to-day agenda and shepherding government legislation through the House of Commons. She took over the job from veteran Liberal MP Dominic LeBlanc back in 2016 after an incident you might remember that was dubbed Elbowgate. She's the first woman appointed to the role in Canadian history. Minister Chagger, welcome. Thank you. I want to start off by asking you um, what you think the Liberal government has done to deserve being re-elected. So what I would say is that we ran on an ambitious plan, which was um, really about supporting middle-class Canadians and those working hard to join the middle class. One of the first pieces of legislation that we passed was to lower taxes on the middle class by increasing them on the wealthiest 1% of Canadians. We also brought forward the tax-free can-child benefit. And we knew that these measures would actually have impacts on the lives of Canadians. But when we see the results that we now see from Statistics Canada, more almost 300,000 children have been lifted out of poverty. We know that 825,000 Canadians are better off today than they were three years ago when we took office. So why do we deserve to be reelected? Is because we want to continue moving forward on the ambitious plan that we ran on the first time. And today, frankly, Canadians are better off. There's more Canadians working than I've seen in my lifetime. Our unemployment rates are the lowest than we've seen, once again, in my lifetime. And the economy is doing really well. And the economy is doing better, I would say, because we are actually investing in Canadians, we're investing in communities, And we're really recognizing that by investing, it is better than the approach of Stephen Harper and the conservatives of austerity. One thing that strikes me is that um, sometimes I think we talk about issues and we assume that people outside of the Ottawa bubble are paying as close attention to CPAC and the House of Commons proceedings as we are. But what really seems to catch people's attentions are things about ethics and scandal and accountability and trust. And, you know, there's been, frankly, no shortage of examples that have had people upset, whether it was the prime minister being found to have broken the ethics law, conflict of interest law, uh, when he went to the Aga Khan's private island, uh, the Aga Khan's foundation lobbies the government, or if it was that famous trip to India, which I believe you were on, uh, where it seemed like it was more about photo ops than actual substance. And then, of course, we had the uh, unfortunate presence of a convicted attempted murderer uh, at the Prime Minister's events. Um, And of course, you know, just a few months ago, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, your former cabinet colleagues, coming out and suggesting that the Prime Minister himself and the staff around him uh, had improperly pressured the Attorney General to intervene in a criminal uh, prosecution. What do you say to people who think that this is really uh, an indication of who the prime minister is and they will have trouble saying, okay, I can trust this guy again. So uh, what I would say is, first of all, yes. Um, When the prime minister ran in the last campaign and all of us ran alongside him, we campaigned on a more open and transparent government. And when you are more open and transparent, that means that Canadians are receiving a lot more information. Canadians are busy people, and they do not get to process or really engage or listen to every single detail. So I think when we talk about the Ottawa bubble, it's often that 
we're able to look at every single headline, every single thing that's happening because we're doing it 24-7. The minute you leave the Ottawa bubble, like when I go into my community, people are working a job. Some are working two, some are working three. They're raising their families. They are taking care of their parents. They are doing multiple other things as well as trying to stay on top of the current issues. When it comes to the India trip, yes, I was on it. And as a member of Parliament for the Riding of Waterloo, I will tell you that Communitech is a hub, so incubator accelerator in our community, and they signed a deal in India, which has not only developed opportunities for businesses within my community, but they have also linked opportunities to businesses in India. As much as, yes, there was a lot of focus on the traditional attire that the Prime Minister wore, which I wore as well. And to somebody who has roots within the Indian community, I actually thought it was quite impressive that the Prime Minister would recognize the importance of culture and tradition and be able to really try to go above and beyond and develop and strengthen those people-to-people ties. He went to different places of worship. He went to different cultural sites and so forth. He really got to understand what the people of India feel. And we're talking about 1.3 billion people in India. And we're talking about over a million people in Canada that link themselves to Indian culture. That's obviously when we important talk to, for the diaspora I just wanna, community. No, I yes, just, but I just want to hit the other points. Yeah. So when it comes to ethics... We have a conflict of interest in the ethics commissioner. Um, our officers of parliament do very important work, and they hold parliamentarians to account. When it comes to our government, which is very different than the conservative approach, we have confidence in them. And when they are saying that someone has done something inappropriate or appropriate, we take that. When reports have been filed, on every occasion, the Prime Minister has not only accepted the recommendations, he has accepted responsibility. What that tells me as an individual is this is an individual that wants to do better and wants to improve. And that links me to the conversation about my colleagues, um, which remain as independent members. Sure, they were able to appear at committee. They were provided the opportunity to have solicitor-client privilege well, the minister, the former minister of justice and attorney, the former attorney general was able to have client privilege waived as well as cabinet confidence. She was able to appear and be able to share her perspectives, her side of the story. That is unprecedented when it comes to our country because we have a prime minister today that is saying that Canadians deserve to know the truth. And frankly, the decisions that were made when she was the Minister of Justice and the uh, Attorney General of Canada, remain the decisions today. So yes, we have tough conversations. And where I will go with that is, before I am the government house leader, I'm the member of parliament for the riding of Waterloo. Whether it's the Prime Minister, whether it's any of my colleagues, they will always say that I have the ability to link any issue to my community. But you don't think that the government's going to suffer because of those issues that, I mean, these are the issues that people in your riding probably remember because they watched it on TV, but also because they were bombarded with stories about Jody Wilson rebuild on social media. Canadians are smart people. And I think it's important that they have a government that's going to fight for their jobs and their best interest. Yes. Um, 
headlines and sexy stories sell papers and attract people to the media. We have a job to do. And we wouldn't be writing those stories if they didn't happen. I think, though, once again, to my earlier point, there's not enough opportunity always to dig into the weeds and be able to know all the nuances of a story. I think anyone, I know I would want a prime minister that's going to fight for jobs and is going to fight for the economy and is going to fight for the environment. For the first time, we have a, a government that put a price on pollution because it was the right and smart thing to do. Is it the most popular thing to do? Maybe not. But is it what we need to do for future generations? Yes. I'm really proud of the decisions we've made. People will say to me, you know, how could you stand by that? I debate hard at the cabinet table. And when we make a decision as a team, I'm able to defend it with pride because I know it is not only the right decision, but a smart decision. And the same people that fought for me to be where I am today, I owe it to them to continue laying track for the generations that come after me. And what I know with the policies we've put into place, they will be better off and our country will be better off. The opposition, we've passed over 80 pieces of legislation. Until this week, it comes to two pieces of environmental legislation that they finally have said that they would oppose. And the other piece of legislation is in regards to IDing people and ensuring that people should have, that have guns should have guns. And these are measures that have always been in place. We've just actually put them into legislation. There is three pieces of legislation, 71, 48, and 69, that the conservatives say that they will undo if they are in government. Every other piece of legislation, they skate. They will not say that they will undo. What that tells me is that's pretty good legislation and we've actually delivered for Canadians. And that tells me that as much as they stand in the House of Commons to vote against those pieces, frankly, they know they work for the very people that they say to represent. One thing that struck me in the last week or so is just the amount of uh, regulation and new legislation that is being talked about, whether it's the plastics or it's deferred interest mortgage loans that come into place in early September. That was in the budget. I know, but the regulations have come out. Uh, the edible regulations that come into place on October 17th in the middle of the election campaign, or even um, Bill Blair, the Minister of uh, Borders and Organized Crime Prevention. Is that his title? Border Security Organized Crime very Reduction. Good. Yeah, thank you. Musing about. short title. Yes, very short title. Musing about how he, his recommendation would be to allow cities to ban handguns and uh, create a buyback program for semi automatic rifles, the type of rifles that we've seen in Canada and the, US, the United States in school shootings. I'm just wondering if, you know, this kind of rush to um, announce things is really, frankly, an admission that you've run out of time to do a lot of things that you promised to do in the 2015 platform. Like the, the Bill Blair stuff, that was in the platform. Yeah. So that's exactly it. So when you have a government that's elected with a majority with a very ambitious plan, we have a lot of work to do. And I do believe that um, as much as it feels like we've not been productive, we've actually gotten a lot of work done. 
But what this is signaling and the pressure that you are feeling by making these comments is that we have a lot more work to do. And that's exactly why we need to be returned to government, continue to advance this important work. When it comes to plastics, nice plastics are, <laughs> well, I'll just say, thank you. Plastics um, are part of our comprehensive plan when it comes to the environment. When it comes to edibles, we brought forward legislation to legalize, strictly regulate, and restrict access to cannabis because we want to keep it out of the hands of youth and the profits out of the pockets of organized crime. And I will tell you that it is a system that's going to take some time, but it will work. And I'll give you an example. I have an individual in my life that I am family member to um, by choice more than by blood. And that individual, when they were in grade nine, said to me, I'll get you cannabis if you get me alcohol. They could not get access to alcohol, but they could get access to cannabis. And I had not been elected yet, but that day I doubled down on the policies that I had been fighting for to ensure that, that child not only wasn't able to get alcohol, but also wasn't able to get cannabis. Wait a second. Are you a cannabis smoker? I, well, I'll tell you as a, as a member of Parliament for Waterloo, I know that I represent many people who choose to consume. Um, I will ensure that there are regulations and systems in place. So for the people who are adults and want to are able to, and the ones who shouldn't don't. Um, for me, legislation is not about me as an individual, but it is about the people that I represent. I will fight for a stronger Waterloo and a stronger Canada any single day of the week. I get that, but you which, said this person came to you and said, I'll get you cannabis if you get me booze. So I'm asking you, are you a cannabis smoker? No, the individual said that to me. So the person I know, but I'm asking nine, you, Bardi's Chagger, do you smoke pot? I'm not a, that's, I don't think that even matters, first of all, because why would it matter? Second of all, I'm just letting you know that when I have a person who is underage saying to me, this is what I'll exchange you, it concerns me. I have a responsibility no, to No, and I understand that story. Okay. It's just so I take struck it, me as like, yeah, I obviously I, need to ask you that question. I think what it's important to note is like for me, like when I was in high school, this was a reality. I'm not in high school anymore. I've graduated university and it's still a reality. I'm going to end on this question and it's um, indulged me because it's really not, does not have anything to do with government legislation, but it's um, my own personal uh, question as a youngish brownish woman to another youngish brownish woman. I have often wondered if you feel like you were appointed to the position that you have because you are a youngish brownish woman or that others feel that you were appointed to the position that you have because you are a young brown woman and that had you been a white man, you might not have been appointed to this position, which makes me think, frankly, about um, a lot of the other cabinet ministers and some um, concerns is too strong a word, but some feelings that people are appointed to positions because of the stories that they help tell instead perhaps of the skills they bring to the job are we is this do you feel like you're a token or is that something that you know you don't do you don't think about Althea I appreciate you for um saying it um and I think that's because the if you look at who the government house leader was before I was you've actually hit both sides of that coin in a sense um I can't necessarily speak to why I was chosen as the government house leader, but I can tell you 
that I've spoken to many people who were part of those conversations. And no two people will be able to provide me the same answer as to why they thought I would be good in the role. And I should say to the listener that before you were house leader, you were at the Minister of Small Business. I was. The Minister of Small Business and Tourism. tourism because, <laughs> well, first of all, I love Canada and I would travel in this country because I feel like if you ever want to eat food from around the world or hear languages from around the world or travel the world, you can do it all in Canada. So why travel the world when you can travel Canada? Um, small business, I think, is because I do come from the Waterloo region. Uh, when it comes to the small, the startup community and so forth, our community is booming. We are an innovation hub and the insights and expertise that I would be able to bring forward to the cabinet table because we are the government that consults, to me, made sense. When it comes to your original question, I'll tell you that regardless of the reason I was put in the post, I do believe we have delivered, I've delivered on that post. When it comes to advancing legislation and ensuring we get the job done, we have delivered for Canadians, and I'm proud of it. And yes, there was a time before I was elected where I would be asked to be on boards and so forth because we needed to diversify our boards. And I could have seen myself as a token or I could see myself as an individual that was going to enable other people to come forward into those roles. And for myself, the latter is how I see it. So regardless of the reason I'm put there, it's what I do with the ability to be in that role that I'm most proud of. So we've never had a woman be in the role of government house leader, um, which was shocking to me. And I remember that day where the media asked me, like, how does it feel to be the first woman to be the government house leader? And, well, I didn't think it was true. Then I Googled it, and it was true. And it turns out it needed a leader like Justin Trudeau to be able to believe that a woman could do the job. And did he put me in the role because I am a youngish, brownish girl? I'd say I would, woman. Woman, thank you, a youngest brownish woman. But I would say that based on my relationship with the prime minister, the prime minister put me in the role because he knows that I will call a spade a spade. I will challenge him and I will have an honest conversation. I am the child of immigrants. And in my family, in grade 11, when I came home with a 98 in math, my dad was like, where's the other 2%? Um, so we've always been raised to believe that better is always possible and you fight for more. And that is the grit that the Prime Minister comes from with, and that's what I'm proud of. Party Stagger, thank you. Thank you. And that's our final show this season. At least we think so for now. We'll be back when the writ drops and the official campaign begins. If you have any feedback, the great, the good, the bad, the ugly, you can reach me through social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. My handle is at Althea Raj. That's A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you've enjoyed this show or any of the shows this season, please write us a review. And while you're there, subscribe. Follow Up is produced by myself with the indispensable assistance of Ottawa reporter Zian Lum. Our technical producer this week was Laura Howells, Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Have a wonderful summer. See you on the election trail.